The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. I did. I did it so I could write off my trips to wineries for a year because I'm a super genius. Um, I wrote a book called Time and Vine, which is, like I said, about a magical time-traveling winery that when you go into the right tasting room and you drink a bottle from 1912, you go back to 1912. Um this was, it was my follow-up to Long Distance. It, while there's a romance element, it's very different than anything I've written. Um, it's a much more adult story. Um, it follows much more mature characters. Hello, Set Lusting Bruce listeners. This is your host, Jesse Jackson. And today's episode is one that I originally had planned to be a patrons-only podcast. Um, I have one of the tiers of my Patreon page is you not only to get unedited podcasts where you hear the very clever banter before and after the edited podcast, but I try to do once a month a patron-only podcast. And so Tom Zoller, good friend of the show and one of my dearest friends, uh, decided, you know, he said he'd be willing to sit on the podcast and kind of talk about he's the one who designed the Set Lessing Bruce a logo. So I thought it'd be interesting to hear him talk about that. And we discussed his upcoming projects. And it ended up being so much fun that I don't want to have it just go to my patrons. If you're a patron, I'm sorry. I'm working on something else special for you. But uh, even though I say this is the introduction, this is a patron only episode. Um, enjoy. And if you feel guilty that you're getting this you know, unique, high-quality content, uh, kick a couple of bucks my way. Oh, end of commercial. Thanks. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a patron-only podcast of Set Lusting Bruce. Um, so this is weird. We have a much smaller audience, but that means we can tell all the good stuff. Uh, this is your host, Jesse Jackson, and joining me is one of my favorite people in the world, uh, Tom Zoller, and we have been friends for so many years. Tom, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, and you're one of my favorite people in the world, too. Well, thank you. That is, um, it is, I am always happy that I ended up going to that New Orleans convention. Not only was it a cool convention, but... Um, who knew just stopping at a booth, you would make a, uh, a, just an amazing friend. So yeah. 
you know, getting a caricature done and talking Aaron Sorkin Sports Night. Yes, uh, I um, and I have been loving um, the West Wing Weekly. They're up to the uh, final season of the series, but uh, I, I'm I'm now wanting um, Josh Molina and Rishi to do Sports Night. Uh, to, to, to oh, that would that. be cool. It would be very cool. So, um, well, Tom, in case someone has never, you've been on the podcast a couple times, but in case, mm-hmm. uh, let's give us your elevator pitch. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I am a cartoonist. I write and draw comic books. Uh, do a little bit of other writing, including a couple TV shows. Um, the big thing that I'm known for, uh, two things actually. One, I write and draw for the My Little Pony comics. But also, uh, I write and draw a comic book called Love and Capes, which is about a superhero who says, I love my girlfriend. I'm going to tell her that. But if I tell her that, I have to tell her everything. So is there ever a good time to tell your girlfriend you have an x-ray vision? What does she want for Christmas when she knows you can crush coal into diamonds? I took a break from the book about five years ago. I never said I wouldn't come back, but I didn't have a story to come back with. And then a friend of mine put the idea in my head how to come back, and I have finally launched it. Uh, the first two issues are out now. The third one will be out in a couple of weeks. And the trade is available through comic shops, diamond distributors now. Yeah, one of the beautiful things about Love and Caves is um, on the initial run, um, you participated in a free comic book day multiple times. Um, mm-hmm. You ended up doing a total of four um, chapters or seasons of, if you think of Love and Capes as a superhero sitcom, you did, you know, season one, two, and three, four, going from when they mm-hmm. first got, um, they first kind of were getting serious to we had a wedding and then a big reveal um, in the fine uh, shocker spoilers, um, you know, they're expecting a baby. And so yeah. the, I guess, and now then you're you're not doing a reboot, but you're bringing back the classic and kind of, um, which is kind of cool, right? Yeah, it, uh, the the four chapters I always thought were the dating year, the engagement year, their newlywed year, and then the year that Abby is pregnant. Um, since the the last chapter is called "What to Expect," I never really thought that was a spoiler. Yeah. Um, and I kind of I got the story to where I wanted. I didn't know what to do after that. And then the idea that uh, my friend Greg Weissman, who uh, does the Young Justice cartoon, had, it is a very Greg Weissman idea, but he said, jump in in time five years, and now they have two kids. And that solved all my problems because I didn't want to do the, like the first, the newborn year. Um, one, because I didn't know what stories to tell with it. Like that is, there's a lot of love and case that's, science fiction to me like i do not have a kid so i'm stealing shamelessly from all my friends who do and their stories but like that year seemed so personal that i didn't know what to do with it but jumping to a point where they have two kids it gives me the opportunity to tell lots of general kids stories because i can jump back and forth between one child and the other and it gives me a greater stretch of years to play with and it also solves actually a weird tech problem that the book has been gone just about as long as the time jump. So you don't have to explain why the phones change or anything like that. All the, all the technology is pretty consistent, which seems really important to me. So I, yeah, I like the idea of picking up a little bit later. 
you know, the other thing I thought of as you're talking about babies is um, you and I both have a deep love of comic books. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I'm thinking of the, um, you know, the 60s and 70s um, Ventures of Superboy when he was a man where you would see the baby Clark, you know, um, you know, flying and, you know, at the orphanage before Ma and Pa Kent, uh, you know, got him. And and you're like, it would be fun to do an homage to that. But you would you knowing you would want to do something original. You don't just want to kind of go to the cliche of a quote unquote super baby. Right. And while love in case isn't exactly realistic, like the relationship and the way people interact with each other very much is. Um, so it's not like a tick kind of universe where things are silly. Like it's, it's played for laughs, but it's more like a, a traditional sitcom. And having a baby that has superpowers becomes really hard to discipline. Um, so I took a couple new spins on that. Their son doesn't have powers for at least the, the first uh, chunk of the book. But I figured out, and it's the, the big issue six reveal, but I figured out what story was worth coming back for because I had to have an ending that was at least as good as the ending to the fourth volume. Um, and once I had that, everything else just kind of hung off that. And it was interesting to figure out like where other characters were and what had changed and what was the same and, you know, figuring out different haircuts and costume styles. And I mean, just from a, from a drawing point of view, my style has changed since the fourth volume. You can look at the first volume and the fourth volume and a lot of things changed. So figuring out a way to make it look very much like love and cakes, but also keep in mind all the things that I've learned along the way. You know, I was going to ask you that, and that's a perfect segue. What we can talk a little bit about what's changed with the characters, but what's changed in your process of, of writing and designing the book? I mean, you had gotten to um, a, a pretty good, it, it appears from the outside, and you and I being friends, you know, you had a pretty good process of writing the book. You know, you were you while it certainly wasn't, quote unquote, an assembly line, but you had a process that was flowing and working for you. You've taken a five year break. You're going back. What do you find is like riding a bicycle? And then what is like very new and different? Um, even with the the small changes I've made that I, I don't know how much people pick up on, drawing the characters is very comfortable. Like it's. They're really easy to work with. I know how to make their reactions look the way that they do. Like it, it's their old friends, and it's good to draw them again. Um, one of the things that's changed is now the book is completely digital, where originally um, it was done kind of like an animated cartoon where I would draw the characters and I'd have backgrounds that I'd kind of painted and would reuse. And now all the all the stuff is being done just completely in clip studio, um, which has been interesting because like the way that I would put together a scene is that I would have a lot of extra space on it so that I could move it around and give myself a little bit of room. If I got kind of dialogue heavy, which I don't do on the current one, because now that I'm essentially drawing on every page, two size, when I draw the scene, it has to be the right size. When I started off on the first two or three pages, I really struggled with that to make sure that I'd given enough um, room for dialogue. 
especially because one of the other things I do is I work on a webtoon called Cupid's Arrows. And on webcomics, you can flow your dialogue into the space above a panel because you can play with the entire infinite scroll of using a phone. So I've gotten kind of out of the habit of trying to make sure that I leave enough space for copy and I needed to get back into that frame of mind. Yeah. Um, I, I think we've talked about this in the past, but, um, you know, one of the things that I love about the book is you originally, and I'm telling the audience this cause you know, this, you originally thought, I, I don't know if this will get printed, so I'm going to build this as if it could be a web cartoon. I could do four panels, and, you know, we go bump, 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 joke, bump, 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 joke. And um, so you kept that pattern even when it became a physical book. Um, do you do you curse yourself every once in a while that you started that? I do. I would like to, I'd like to have some pages with a few less panels. Um, trying to figure out that many jokes is often tiring. But the first time I ever tried writing a sitcom pitch script, uh, which was for a contest that ran on Bravo, um, one of the comments I got back from a friend of mine who's an actor is that there weren't enough jokes in it, that most sitcoms have a joke or two per page. And that eight-panel grid with two jokes on every panel four, is become, it's a comedic metronome. So as much as it's a challenge to keep going into that format, it's also, it's also a nice backstop. Like it, it keeps me on mission to, to make the book the way the book is supposed to be. And then figuring out how to stitch all that stuff together is always a little bit of a challenge. Yeah. I, you know, kind of that you have an outline or like in terms of running a race, you have, you know, someone who's, you know, pacing you. And you know mm-hmm. that as the story, I need that. And, um, you know, and sometimes it's it's a chuckle laugh and other times it's a really funny laugh. Um, but you do keep that flow going that makes it entertaining to read and, and it it helps the pace of the book. So, yeah. And one of the one of the compliments I've gotten on the book that I've always taken to heart is there are people who don't realize that I'm following that pattern. Mm hmm. Like they, they don't realize that it's built to be told in four panel increments. And that ultimately is what I'm going for, that the book should work as a book, even though it has this artificial structure imposed on it. Yeah. How's been the response? Are you going back to the, to the universe? It's been really positive. Um, there haven't been a lot of reviews yet, but people have been very excited to see it back. It's the thing I've done that I think has the most loyal fan base and the deepest fan base. Um, yeah, so it's like I sold a ton when I was at New York Comic Con. I sold a bunch more when issue two came out at Baltimore. Like it's, especially like at New York Comic Con, people ran up on day one to get it. So Mm -hmm. one, they knew about it. And two, it was, there's the level that I'm at with comics is I'm a, I'm a really good utility infielder. There are certainly superstars to the field and I'm, I'm more journeyman. There's nothing wrong with that, but it means that. At a four-day convention, traditionally, the people who come on day one are the ones who are super excited to get your work. And the people who come on the last day are the ones who know what money they have left to spend because they know what uh, they know what exclusives they're not getting. Because if you're there for four days, there's no reason to buy from me on a Friday when on a Friday there's a 
panel of actors that you want to see or a guest that's only there for one day. So it kind of changes the, the pace of the show that I had so many people show up on Thursday meant to me that it was something that people very much wanted there. People are definitely excited to see it back. And it's the, the question I got asked the most over the last five years is when was I coming back to it? But you have not been um, idle during this five years. Uh, you have done um, both print comics and web comics. So uh, promote yourself a little bit there, Zoller. Talk about the other sure. stuff you've done. All right. There are two uh, miniseries that have been collected into trade by IDW. One is called Long Distance. It's a story about a couple in a long-distance relationship. They meet in an airport during a snowstorm. They live in uh, Chicago and Columbus. It uses color to tell the story. So the scenes are all fairly monochrome. Um, they're like a shade of green or a shade of orange, and Chicago is orange and Columbus is green, and that way you always know where the characters are. Um, it sounds kind of artificial to me when I say it, but it works surprisingly well in comic book form. And, um, and I will tell you, as a reader, you know how you mentioned some readers don't catch the four beat? Um, that mm -hmm. was, till you mentioned it, it, it was not something register, registering to me. It just felt like, oh, this is a story. But I think subconsciously it helps you, oh, yeah, this is the Chicago team and this is the Columbus team. I think that's it, it was a really subtle way to kind of separate the, the two different um, groups of characters. Yeah, and it, it was my attempt to, if you remember the, uh, the CSI shows, they all filmed in L.A., but they used color timing to make their, their show's palette look different. Right. So uh, CSI Miami was very much like tons of yellow, and it felt very sun-drenched, and the New York show felt very washed out and gray and kind of monochromatic. So it was a way of doing that in the comic book to use the different color palettes to give you a sense of place of what was going on in the book. Yeah. Okay. So, so that was, um, yeah, absolutely yeah, wonderful so, book. Um, I do notice you. a theme here of romantic comics. Uh, I, I guess you, you know, your genre and, uh, love to play in it. Yeah. It, it also became, it was kind of a marketing thing of hitting them where they ain't. Like, if you want to read a book about superheroes, DC and Marvel publish a hundred of those a month, and they're really good at telling those stories. But I've, along the way, figured out that I'm pretty good at telling romance stories and romantic comedy stories. So, I'm, while it's not all I can do, I'm doing what I'm best at because it helps me carve out a space and get noticed. It's, um, uh, to use another sports analogy, it's like I can hit that outside curve. So yeah. not everybody can, but if I if I get pissed there, I can do really well with it. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, it was doing Love and Capes that led to me working on My Little Pony. So because they're both published by IDW, and they knew I was regular with my deadlines and could be counted on, and they liked the way that I wrote, so they gave me a chance to do that, which is different than the romantic comedies, but also um, it's close enough to the to the vibe that people can see the connection. My editors can see the connection. How many issues of My Little Pony have you written? Oh, I counted that once, and I just had another issue come out. I think I've written about a dozen. Yeah. Um, 
and then I have pitches in for the next year or two. Uh, so hopefully there will be many more that I'm writing because the show just wrapped up with season nine and season 10 is going to continue in the comics. And so you've done some covers, you do a mm-hmm. ton of sketches. Um, it, I, I remember once and once again, pulling back the curtain. Um, I often, if I'm on, if I have free time, I go meet Tom at conventions that are convenient, and we—it's an excuse for us to spend the weekend catching up and talking. And I—I'm mm-hmm. at his booth, and I—I—I I, I help him a little bit by selling, and and we we just enjoy ourselves. And um, you have said once that you know you can draw uh, you know Mark almost with your eyes closed, um, but I also think you can draw almost any pony with your eyes closed. Um, which one is the easier to sketch when someone, when uh, when the cute little kid comes and asks for a free sketch? Wow. Oh, as, as far as pony goes, anyone that's not rarity, because yeah. I my brain does not process how her hair works, and I don't think any of my rarities look good. Pinkie Pie is probably the easiest. Um, and she's currently my favorite character to write. So I think that goes hand in hand. Very nice. Well... I also believe you wrote a time-traveling wine story. I did. I did it so I could write off my trips to wineries for a year because I'm a super genius. Um, I wrote a book called Time and Vine, which is, like I said, about a magical time-traveling winery that when you go into the right tasting room and you drink a bottle from 1912, you go back to 1912. Um, It was my follow-up to Long Distance. It while there's a romance element, it's very different than anything I've written. Um, it's a much more adult story. Um, it follows much more mature characters. And um, it's sweet and magical if I've done it right. To me, it's my uh, Richard Curtis, the guy who did uh, Love Actually and um, About Time and Notting Hill. Like, I was very much trying to write in that vein. Um, and that book has it has a definite following and it seems to be aside from loving Kate's the thing that I've got, that's got the longest tail. Like that one sells better. It sells consistently even after its publication. Yeah. I, you know, I'm always going to be a loving Cape's guy. Um, but it, and we're going to talk about your web work in a minute, but there is something about, um, your time in vine that you you really stretched your storytelling because yes there's a romance element but there's also a family mystery there's also kind of the the business part of it the mechanics of the time and this whole buddy um buddy adventure movie all kind of thrown Mm -hmm. in together and you would think I don't know if that's going to all work, but it does. You you make it so that it is fairly seamless where it's just the story you're telling, and it's only afterwards if you tried to diagram it, you know, diagram it like you would a sentence, you go, wow, there's a lot of moving parts in this thing. Yeah, um, and it came together remarkably well. Like, I, I remember taking the walk where I think it was Kurt Busiek who would – put on Twitter something about some joke about writing a comic about a winery. And then I was on a walk and I figured out pretty much how the entire story went and like mechanically how it would work. And in my head, the winery had to be in New York because I wanted to tell stories 
among American history. And I felt that like California, which is known for its wineries, wouldn't work quite as well. And it wasn't a, a time period that I was as familiar with. Um, and then it turned out the oldest winery in the United States is in upstate New York. It's called Brotherhood. It's been around since before the Civil War. It survived prohibition by selling church wine and and uh, champagne because champagne was considered medicinal. So you could get a prescription for it. But it was it was remarkable to me how many things just clicked, you know, for for not knowing the history of wineries in the United States to have that story hit those beats so perfectly. And then there's an entire and I won't spoil it, but I know you know what happens. There's an entire timeline thing that happens between the story of the, the older gentleman and the younger person and it converges on one date that just happened to work out when I was writing it. Like it never occurred to me that those dates would line up. And then when they did everything just, you know, again, it, it's one of those things that it came about. And I think there was more than just me involved in telling that story. Absolutely. Um, so we've talked about a little bit, but, um, you, even though Love and Capes ended up not being a web comic, you got to play with the little web comics, haven't you? Yeah, um, because of the Baltimore Comic Con and Long Distance, um, the editor at Webtoon, which is a, it is like the premier web comics outlet. It started off as a Korean company, and they were making a push to broaden to American audiences. And they were introduced to me by a friend, uh, David Gallagher, Gallagher. And when I gave them, when I was telling the editor about Love and er, about um, Long Distance, he bought it from me, bought the copy of the book for me before I could finish the pitch, which wow. has never happened before. Like I was sitting there going, I don't like, I don't want to sell past the clothes, but I feel like I should finish the sentence. Yeah. Um, that, that hadn't happened before. And one of the things I found out is that while, while being a romance writer in comics is an oddity and there's an audience for it, being a romance writer in webtoons is like being a left-handed reliever. Yeah. Um, it is a huge portion of that audience. So I pitched them a bunch of things. They went with the, the project I didn't think they would pick because that is apparently how things go. And I wrote a story called Warning Label, which is about a girl who's cursed by her ex-boyfriend that every guy who asks her out gets the warning label of what they need to watch out for. Um, and then they find out the list can be changed and the guy who stays with her writes a list of her his own and then they both slowly become better people and that was it was lightning in a bottle it started really well on webtoon it continued to do well uh webtoon liked it enough that i could expand it originally roughly speaking every chapter that i put up one a week was supposed to be about five pages of a comic book it was pitched as a 26 chapter story it wound up going 39 chapters and they were fine with that. And it let me air the story out in a way that when I pitched it, I didn't realize it needed to be. Um, I had to end it because there was always a definite end to the story. There was only so long you could keep emotionally abusing Danielle in the story. And once I, once I did that, they asked me to follow up. And then I pitched him another, another strip called Keep It Zero's. Yeah, and um, Cupid's Arrow is, is is a fun book. It is a little bit of um, it's it's a quantum leap meet 
um, you know, Rob Thomas's Cupid, uh, where, you know, uh, Rob Thomas, you know, had the, he actually had two versions of where um, someone, you aren't sure if he really is Cupid or if he is uh, possibly uh, mentally problems. Um, yeah. And so, but in your book, you actually have Cupids that are a team and they are there um, writing things right. Like in Quantum Leap, their job is to get couples together. And so mm -hmm. it's a fun story because um, you get the whole banter between the two Cupids because you are very good at writing couples, but also the, okay, who is the couple they're going to try to put together and what are the obstacles and how are they going to do this? Um, and so it's, it's a fun book. Um, I think your um, warning label was, I think that stretched you in even different ways than Time and Vine did as a writer because mm -hmm. of this telling the relationship in such a long method. You know, they aren't together. You start with them meeting each other. Um, so just that's not a question. That's just me making a comment. Sorry, Doc. <laughs> Oh, no, no, it's it's fine. Yeah, Warning Label told a whole swath of their relationship, and it was built to be long form. With the success of Warning Label, when I was pitching follow-up series, I was pitching things that could be much more open-ended. And I really, I like the Thin Man movies. I mean, you mentioned it, I like banter in general. Um, I like writing that kind of dialogue. Um, and I was a big fan of both versions of Cupid. Uh, probably lean a little heavier on the Jeremy Piven one. Uh, but so combining aspects of that together, I wanted to be able to have an overarching story and there's a, a three or four year arc built in for what goes on with the story in general, but it also lets you tell smaller stories of couples getting together. It's a little more like the love boat or, you know, it, it is what quantum leap is a really interesting reference point to use because the story I had always heard about that is that Donald Belsario wanted to tell an anthology story and NBC said anthology stories don't sell. So he came up with a way to tell an anthology story with a set of recurring characters, Sam and Al. So the same way I, I can tell an anthology of love stories, but they'll have the same characters that become the, the larger plot line that keeps you interested. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, all right, so we're going to kick back, and for those of you going, um, is this a comic book podcast or is this a Seth Lassie <laughs> podcast? So one of the nice things, there are many benefits to having uh, Tom as a friend. Number one is he has a wonderful heart. Number two is I meet the most interesting people when I hang with Tom, including the time mm -hmm. we watched Game of Thrones with a member of the cast. Yeah. And uh, and we went to dinner with a who's who of comic book legends, and all they wanted to talk about was the uh, McCain-Obama election. Yeah, it and, was a 2008 election. Oh. And all he and I wanted to do is, like, who do you think should be in the Justice League? Yeah, I just wanted to talk geeky stuff, you know, paradigms of the industry. and Yeah. Yeah. But um, he also is very kind, and I go, hey, Tom, I'm needing some artwork. 
And so uh, you had created my Next Stop Everywhere logo that uh, that Charles and I did for Doctor Who. And when I reached mm-hmm. out to you now over four years ago, and I says, hey, I'm thinking about doing a Bruce Springsteen podcast. Do you have any ideas? I'll let you take it from there. Yeah, so I I knew of your love of Bruce Springsteen. You made no secret of that and told all sorts of stories about that. And I was trying to figure out a way to, one of the things you run into is how do you visually represent music? And it was very much about set lists. Um, and how do you represent that? Which is why it became a, a set, like the, the starting point for it was a set list that was in the head of a guitar. Yeah. Um, and I thought that got, got across the vibe of what you were looking for. And then to, to work with the musical notes and figure, uh, especially for designing logos, you have to figure out a way for um, a logo to work vertically and horizontally and in different, different formats and still be clear at a small size or a large size. Um, like whenever I design logos, usually there's a black and white version built and a color version so that if I design something that's a full color version that only works at full color, when you call me and say, hey, I need to screen print this on a frisbee and i've only got one color i want to have done the work to make sure that the logo works in in both places so with set lessons bruce i wanted to have the the waves of music um and just the energy of a bruce springsteen concert along with uh, the guitar yeah um and it is uh, you know it's kind of funny because as you look at the logo it does look like um, you know, there there is the set list that's on the guitar and then the notes. Um, do you do a fair amount of logo designs? Uh, I don't do as much as I used to. Before I went completely freelance, I was a graphic designer and an art director for an ad agency here in Ohio. And I did a lot of logo design there. Um, my first comic book work was doing lettering. So for, for people who don't know, um, comics are done kind of in a piecemeal process. And what this means is that one person generally writes, one person does the art, one person does the colors, and one person puts in all the dialogue. The dialogue is already written, but designs the speech balloons and the sound effects and, and all of that. Um, so I've always had like a, like a calligraphist bent in my head or, you know, always thought about fonts and logo design. Um, I still very much enjoy doing it. I don't enjoy doing it as much as I like writing stories, but for a good chunk of time, that was, that was a large, large bit of, you know, how I, how I brought in money regularly and I still like dipping my toe in it. And one of the, one of the things I heard as a designer is that I had a very cartoony style. And I think a lot of times what you bring from the things that aren't the field you're in helps inform and give a unique look to the things that you do. So if I learned how to draw comics just from reading comics and hadn't looked at any other art, everything would look like a copy of a copy of a copy. But I have a very designy sense to my cartooning because I lived in the world of design for so long, but the same way, like the logos that I was most familiar with weren't, corporate logos like IBM and AT&T, they were comic book logos. And right. that whole style of lettering um, fit in my head with 
how to design logos. And in the set lusting Bruce, like being able to take the, the word set lusting and turn them into the guitar is a very comic booky thing. And it has a, like in the logo, I think it's got a nice little, like vaguely sixties vibe to it yes. um, without dating it too much. Um, so you get that energy across and it gives you, it gives you the shape of the guitar without putting too many elements in it. You know, the, the hard part on logo like that is to do a cursive word that is clear enough for everybody to read um, because cursive tends to be so messy. Yeah. Do, do you, does doing this kind of work is, is that like CrossFit? Like when, when I know you do, you work out on a pretty regular basis, uh, you know, so is this a different way to move to exercise a different part of your brain the same way that, okay, I'm doing weights this week and now and today, and now I'm going to do cardio the next. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I've ever thought of it like that, but I think that's a really good way to put it. Like it's a, it's a different set of muscles. Uh, and it, it forces you to make different decisions. Uh, I'm a big fan of things like there's a, there's a traditional day in comics called 24 hour comic book day where artists write and draw a comic book in 24 hours. So they rightfully have to do a page an hour to do a 24 page comic. And I did it one year. Someone asked me why I did it because like, why, why make your life harder? And to me, it was when you're operating under that time frame, you have to make different decisions because the decisions you're used to making aren't going to solve your problem. You have to figure out some shortcuts. You have to figure out, ways to tell a story that are going to work better. Um, and I think when you break down those comfortable paths and have to find new paths, it one, it is just interesting and keeps you on your toes, but you discover new solutions. So the same way when you're going back and forth between cartooning and logo design, there are things that you, you know, it's under the surface, but there are things you know from doing comics that wind up being able to be used in doing a logo design, like the, um, so I'm going to say something. I don't, I'm not trying to push like tons of people under the bus, but there are lots yeah. of designers who don't know how to draw. Yes. Um, because you know, especially these days when you're coming out of art school, you can spend your whole life just working on a computer with existing fonts. So to be able to create that set lusting look that fit in a guitar, that is very much a, that's a drawing problem with lettering involved more than it is just a straight lettering problem. And I think, all right. I hope that that's the kind of solution that comes to me because I'm a cartoonist as well as a designer. And that wouldn't necessarily come to me if I was just working across as a designer. So I'm going to go back just a moment. Do you think that this new issues of love and Cape would have been as good, would been as good if you had not originally done this, the, um, and I hate to sound the old fashioned way, the old uh, which, way? Yeah, the old fashioned way you, you know, with the blue ink and you drew this and you had to sketch it and then you had to ink it and then you had to, you know, scan it and do all this work versus now then you're doing it just on a computer. Do you think, did you need that basis, uh, to doing it the core to get those muscles before do you think it would be just as good if you had just gone straight to the electronic way? Um, 
No, I, I think coming at it from a, from a traditional point of view made the book better. Um, and I, I feel that way even in larger terms, like the way that I ink comics, the way that I change from pencils to black ink lines is that I ink with a brush. It's the way that I was taught at art school. And it is a, it's an old, slightly classic technique at this point where a lot of people don't, didn't learn how to do things that way. Um, so a lot of what I've tried to do digitally is replicate the things that I can do with brush, but not have the problems of having to wipe stuff out if I make a mistake or being able to, um, if I'm doing a big curved line, there's a way to make your brush stroke track to the curved line. Um, all sorts of techie things like that. But like, I know what steps the computer is saving me. Um, and that, I mean, I feel that way about computers in general, I, you know, even with math class, uh, as my God kids are going through school is I think they should, I think you need to learn how to do it the longhand hard way. And then you can go to the, you can go to using a calculator because you know what steps you're skipping, but you need to be able to fall back on it. Um, I, when I was in art school, it was before Photoshop had taken over. So there was an entire group of people you used to have to do what were called color separation. So if you did a color cover, someone had to cut different layers of acetate to tell the printer that Superman's shirt was blue and his cape was red. And by red, I mean a mixture of pink and yellow. Um, where now all that stuff is done in Photoshop. But it means that when I'm coloring in Photoshop, I can think through the steps of how is this going to print when it goes into separations in a way that somebody who hasn't done that hasn't had to do that level of, of thinking through it. So when you, when you know what steps the computer is skipping for you, it makes you better able to know what you can execute and fall back on that. And with love and case now, um, I am, there was a lot of, there were a lot of backgrounds that were a little too technical in love and case. And I've, I've kind of freed up on that. And also honestly, especially as I get older, um, being able to zoom in infinitely is fantastic. Um, I, I could tell at the point that I started needing reading glasses because I had a, a two by four grid built on a sheet of Bristol board that I could use for love and capes. I used it for every one of the first four uh, volumes of love and capes, everything that's drawn on that. I put a piece of tracing paper over it and then I used that as my guide and I could tell the drawings started getting bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm because my ability to see detail got less and less. So being able to work on a Cintiq and, you know, blow it up 400% and get that detail is great. And it's really saving me because kids have very tiny hands, um, especially with as small as I'm drawing. So I, yeah. I wouldn't want to try to figure out how to put that together on a regular basis with just brush and pen. Absolutely. All right. A couple of things, and then we're going to let you go. One, are you excited about um, them – putting a new Lois and Clark in development. I just saw that. Um, I am super excited for that. I have, I have loved most of the CW superhero stuff. I haven't seen Batwoman yet because uh, I've been traveling so much. Uh, right. I kind of stayed current on the Flash and Arrow. Like I can't believe they're doing Crisis on Infinite Earths. But Tyler Hochin, if, if that's how you pronounce his last name, He's the Superman I never knew I always wanted. 
And the, the only thing he's going to have a problem with is while there are lots of the Superman Returns film I don't like, Brandon Routh was not the problem. Yeah. And to see him play Superman again, that's going to be a little tough to compete against. But, but man, do I love when the first time Superman appeared on Supergirl, he was, he was the Superman I've been waiting for. Uh, and they wrote him the way Superman needed to be written. I will be interested to see because in, I don't think it's a spoiler because it's from last year, but Lois and Clark are pregnant at the end of their last appearance in the, the DCCW shows. And it'll be interesting to me if the CW starts telling a story about parents, because that is generally not what they do. Yeah. Um, that's one of the, the slight issues I have with black lightning is, is, you know, that I, I would have liked them not to focus as much on the daughters, but um, yes, we have talked about that, that Tyler, just seems to he he enjoys being superman he he is is kind and and is having fun and um and the actress who is playing Lois Lane and I'll think of her name in just a minute um is just perfect um she yes. is she is smart and she seems to care and and so uh, I think this is going to be a lot of fun um I don't know you know, the premise too much. It looks like they were talking about, you know, on the previous that they were going to spend some time on New Krypton and, and everything. So we'll see what happens. But I, when I saw that, I thought of you. Um, Elizabeth Tulak uh, from okay. uh, yeah, Grimm. Yeah. yeah, she's and she is all over social media talking about, you know, she said how much Lois Lane uh, and Margaret Kidder meant to her. And to be able to play uh, Lois Lane is just a dream come true for her. So I'm yeah, excited. The, the, two of them, the two of them have such good chemistry together. Yeah. They're, there's a scene in Elseworlds where she shows up with a giant gun. And Superman is just like, honey, is that you? Yeah. Uh, I just loved every minute of it. Absolutely. All right. So uh, what do you got coming up? Uh, obviously, you're gonna, you've got more Love and Caves, but anything else you're doing? Let's see, I have two conventions coming up. Um, this weekend I'll be at Akron Comic Con. Uh, next weekend, uh, second week of November, I'll be at Grand Rapids Comic Con. That'll be my last show for the year. Uh, I think I've done, um, as near as I can tell, all the shows. So it'll, it'll be nice to take a break and not be on the road Supernatural style. Um, doing more Loving Case, have more My Little Pony coming out. Uh, Cupid's Arrows will be returning for a season two on Webtoon in the next month or so. Uh, we're just finalizing some details on that, uh, and uh, and that's uh, that's quite enough. Yeah, um, that seems I, like I, it. I, I like sleeping. I need to do that more, <laughs> but there's, there's not as lot, much room for it right now. No, I, I'm 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 waiting. For, I'm waiting to see Mark and Abby to show up on Cupid's Arrow, and you're like, oh no, no, wait a minute, uh, so, across the stream. Yeah, exactly. Um, that sounds wonderful. Um, if someone wants to check out more of your work to buy the issues. Talk to me, tell them where they can find you. All right. My website is tomz.com, T H O M Z.com. Uh, that's got links to all my work. It's got a store where you can buy stuff, including for the first time and ever digital copies of new issues, of love and Kate. So if you don't want a physical copy and don't want to pay the shipping, 
uh, digital is available for you. And then I am on all the social medias as at Tom Zoller, T-H-O-M-Z-A-H-L-E-R. I will freely admit that I don't post anywhere near as much as I used to. Uh, but as Loving Capes is coming back and as new things are coming out, I'm trying to be a little bit better about posting about things. Well, yeah, because you're busy. Um, by the way, for us um, Springsteen fans, uh, we were very pleased um, that um, Western Stars, the new movie that uh, Bruce um, co-directed with uh, Tom Zanini, and he spells his name the correct way. It's T H O M. Really? Yes, he does. So, oh. in fact, when I sent him a fan mail asking him to join me on the show, I said, "I have to start out congratulating you on writing Tom the right way." So, <laughs> uh, that is awesome. Yeah, as Tom always, I love talking to you. Uh, we what people don't know is we probably spent about twenty minutes just catching up before I hit record. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, I am. Uh, we're um, whether we're talking suits or just conventions or Aaron Sorkin, it's always great to catch up. Um, certainly, give my love to your mom and dad and the rest of the special people in your life. And I uh, will. You and too. I and listeners, thank you. We will talk to you soon. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, said Listing Bruce. Set Listing Bruce is part of the Southgate Media Podcast Group. The theme for Set Listing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. All right, Tom, that oh. was so good. I'm not going to give that just to my patrons. I'm going to give it to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> that was so good. I'm going to put that out. Uh, so oh, I cool. may edit this and just – I may even try to get this out by Thursday. So that was perfect. Okay. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, All that right. was fun. Yeah. So, yeah, great stuff. Um, it's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.